the lecturer, he was fantastic because it's male dominated, but it's also almost like a hobbyist kind of thing now. Like with music, people start at different ages. By the time I was in my second year, I was already teaching as a tutor in the classroom. You can't really get away with not being able to use a computer. And I think that's going to escalate to more specific sort of things like using even just something like Excel to do more than just putting numbers in a numbers in a box. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Coogee Voice. Today we're talking with Hannah Beter, who recently won the Rotary Urban Young Inspirational Woman of the Year. We're talking with Hannah about Girls That Code and why we need more women involved in STEM. We touch on the future of work, as well as why we need a new co-educational public high school in our electorate. Hannah, welcome to Coogee Voice. We're going to get the ball rolling, but we need to start off. What is STEM and can you give us an example of it in a workplace? So STEM is like a bit of a behemoth acronym. It stands for Science, Technology, Engineering and Mathematics. Now that's a bit of a mouthful. Sometimes it's helpful to group them together and sometimes it's not. But for the sake of this question, I'll answer. STEM is the combination of what we consider today to be technological fields. And they tend to be quite male dominated industries, both in education and out in the real world. What was it like for you growing up and going to school in the eastern suburbs? I don't think I know any different. Like it was just, it just was what it was. Um, I used to live really local to my school when I was really little. So I used to walk to school just around the corner. Um, And then that campus got merged with a bigger campus. So I started getting the bus. Uh, I remember being like a really little year three kid on the bus with all the high school kids and um, sort of normalized using like public transport and everything at a young age just because my parents worked and I had to get there. And um, growing up, what else? You know, living near the beach, all the sport at school was like involved with Bondi Beach and icebergs and Coogee and Maroubra. I just remember like being down there all the time. Yeah, fantastic. So when did you get into IT and software engineering? When did that start to become a bit of a passion for you? That was definitely after school finished. When I was at school and in high school, particularly all the subjects that I did, I just sort of continued on with things that became elective. So like music and languages, suddenly when you're choosing your subjects, I just kept going with them, which meant I didn't really consider those IT subjects in year 9 and 10 and then 11 and 12. So I wasn't really exposed to it until school finished. And then I was looking at all my subjects and I was thinking, what on earth am I going to do for my degree? I had such a diverse range of things that I was doing. As I said, music and language, I was doing English, maths, physics, and I thought maybe I should give engineering a crack. And so I remember putting down all my preferences for uni just for all the different disciplines of engineering at UNSW because it was right around the corner from my school. So I thought, you know, why why go too far when there's one just here? And why cross Anzac Parade? Yeah, when you don't why have would to? I do it? Why would I do it? So I thought that was the way to go. And I got into engineering um, and I picked electrical. So I picked electrical engineering to begin with. I did one semester of that which there was a lot of crossover between like science, maths degrees, computer science, other disciplines of engineering. So I didn't do anything electrical specific until my second semester and I hated it. So I thought, okay, well now I've done a lot of maths, I've done physics, I've done computing and I really, really liked it, that intro to programming course. So I thought I could just transfer into computer science and that's sort of where it all took off. 
So IT, engineering, and STEM, these are all really male-dominated industries and subjects. Were there any challenges that you faced or that you saw when you were studying these subjects? So when I started, I was in a really, really big course. It was the first intro to programming course at UNSW and it had over a thousand students enrolled. So it was sort of one of those faceless people in the crowd situations. But the way that I sort of overcame that gender imbalance or I saw it be um, assuaged somewhat, I had a really, really fantastic lecturer and the course was mostly online. So we were interacting with um, online lectures and with online coding challenges. All the work was online where you sort of had a profile, you'd post blog posts, you'd interact with other people. So the people who were contributing, you got to know them virtually and then you might see them in the classroom. So I think because I didn't really at the time know that it was male dominated, I sort of just behaved like I normally would and just, you know, talked as much as I normally would, put stuff up online, spoke to people in lectures. They always tell you like, talk to people in your first few weeks because it's weird for everyone. And then if you don't do it, then it's just weird for you later on if you try and do it. So I just talked to people and made friends there. And the lecturer, he was fantastic because it's male dominated, but it's also almost like a hobbyist kind of thing now. Like with music, people start at different ages. So I was sitting in that lecture with people that could already do the coursework. They already knew what they were doing without even having to listen to the lectures because they've been doing it since they were nine or 10 or even younger, like people start at all different ages. And this lecturer said to us all, you know, there's a whole range of skills in this classroom and the people who don't know anything are gonna have the determination to learn. And you will converge the people that know a lot already and the people who don't, you'll converge really quickly because of that drive to learn. And he also told the people who did already know stuff, you know, watch out because I'm teaching you stuff in a certain way. And if you switch off because you think you know things, you might miss stuff. And the people who don't know anything, they're listening to every single thing that I'm saying and they're internalizing it perfectly. So make sure you stay on your toes. So it was sort of good to know that he understood that people come in with different levels of skills. And that really made me feel seen and understood because He's talking and I'm like, I know what each of those words means on its own, but together I don't know any of this. Or he says, oh, just do this. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but somebody else already like typing away. So there was definitely like jarring moments where I was thinking I'm not meant to be here, but him acknowledging that people are at different skill levels was the perfect way for me to overcome that. So in the class of a thousand, what do you, what was the proportion of girls to boys or men to women? I think it's about five to seven percent in computer science and software engineering. So that's the women. There's about five. Yeah, to 7%. that's right. That's right. Why do you think so few women participate in these subjects? It's an interesting question because it's on one hand, university used to be a thing for men only, right? So there's that situation where you're just trying to bring women into a male-dominated space full stop, regardless of the industry or the specialization. And then there's the other side of it, which is like socialization. When there are a lot of men, then the women don't see themselves there and they don't think they can be a part. And then when they are there, it's informed the culture of that industry already. So you might feel a bit on the outer because this thing exists already without you. So when you can't see yourself in that space, it's hard to put yourself in that space. But very interestingly, back in like the 60s, when computers were just becoming a thing, women used to be the computers. Like you would say computer and you actually meant like a person. And the reason that that was such a female dominated industry was because at the time it was considered secretarial work. 
people sitting and punching numbers in. It was almost like working on a call center board, like a switchboard or um, being a receptionist. And then as soon as it became something that was mathematical, scientific, it was taken away from that administrative and secretarial sort of area and men swarmed to it. Recently, you were awarded the Rotary Young Inspirational Woman for your work in encouraging other young women to get into programming and IT. Tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing and how you're encouraging young women and why more women need to get involved. So I started doing work teaching people to code at university. That same lecturer that I mentioned, he grabbed a bunch of us and started training us all to be tutors because he saw that there was a big graduating cohort coming up that were full of tutors and they were just going to lose all, all of the tutors quite soon. So he trained us up and then by the time I was in my second year, I was already teaching as a tutor in the classroom. It's very unusual for that to happen at uni in areas like the arts or um, commerce maybe where you need to have like a, an honours degree at the very least or like a PhD or master's. You want to look at the person out the front and be like, they know what they're talking about. So I definitely felt like, do I know what I'm talking about? I'm not sure. But they allowed me to um, be a tutor and that really built my skills and my confidence as an educator. So as soon as I finished uni, I was looking for other things to get involved in as a way to continue that sort of work because I was working full time as a software engineer, but I wanted to keep teaching. So I've worked with a couple of different organizations in order to help women learn how to code. There's one that's called the Girls Programming Network and they run out of the University of Sydney. They run with the National Computer Science School and they have every school holidays, free workshops for high school aged girls to come and learn Python programming. That's pretty cool. It's really, really cool. Their registrations used to sell out within like 30 minutes of the link becoming open. So recently they've actually expanded to do two weekend workshops per school holidays. So double, double the number of girls, which is fantastic. Another organization I work with is Code Like a Girl, and they've got a whole variety of different um, education streams for young girls and also adults to learn how to code. So they're based out of Victoria, but they, bro they broke into the New South Wales market last year and hired some educators that they get out there running their workshops. They do workshops for primary and high school, I think um, up to 15 years of age, and then one-off workshops for adults as well. Cool. So my question is, why do we need more women and diversity in coding? So I don't need to tell you this, but tech's everywhere, right? It's in your pocket. <laughs> it's like recording this podcast right now. Tech's everywhere. And the people that make the tech do not reflect the people that use the tech at the moment. You know, every single person that you know, I'm sure has a phone, has a TV, has a maybe a smart watch or a smart home device. And the people that make those devices they're not an accurate representation of the people that use them. It's important when we design things to have a full spectrum of different perspectives in order to create inclusive outcomes. So that's for coding, but it's as a principle in general, you want to be designing with the people that you're making the things for. Well, that's exactly right. We've already got quite a number of examples where, you know, the narrow view of coders from our big tech companies has actually ended up in quite, you know, deplorable situations where there's been this mismatch in coding and images. Um, so tell me, how do we get more girls involved? I think we get more girls involved. It's the problem begets the problem. So you get more girls involved by getting more girls involved. I've often heard someone saying, you know, the best way to make sure the woman at your office stays working for your company is by hiring another woman. So 
it, I mean, this extends beyond women and just to minority groups and underrepresented groups in general. If you have greater representation, then you will have greater inclusivity. Now, there's a difference between diversity and inclusion. Diversity is diversity, right? You've got the people in the room, but inclusion is can they actually have a voice and do they feel included? And I think it's such a pipeline problem. We've got a really, really great investment in getting young girls into STEM at the moment, but you see this leaky pipeline where women leave the industry at various points in their careers for various different reasons. And until we have complete understanding of all those different reasons that people might leave the industry, might feel that they can't be involved, might not feel they can bring their whole selves to work, it's going to be really challenging to keep people there. So we need women in the industry so that our products are better for everybody. And we need women in the industry so that they know they can be involved in these really entrepreneurial, high-powered, really technical professions. I really like how you're talking about the difference between diversity and inclusion. And that for me as someone uh, who works in government and I've worked in education, it's the difference between box ticking or ensuring that it actually runs through the blood and through the substance of an organisation. Hannah, the HSC has come to an end. There's a lot of young people, you know, more than 50% of our high school graduates are women. They're starting to think about what they're going to be doing post high school um, and at university. What are the options that they should be looking at if they're wanting to get into STEM? So there are a couple of amazing different degree programs that you could get involved in under the broad umbrella of STEM. You could do a science degree, you could do an engineering degree, or you could do a maths degree. Once you're in those programs, it's really easy to move around. So even if you do a semester and you think, I don't like it, you can switch your major super easy. But going back a step before you even get to uni, mm -hmm. consider STEM, mm -hmm. consider your STEM options at university or even at TAFE. There are a number of different ways you can get involved in solving real world problems and making a difference to the country and to the technology industry, whether that be building new roads and highways as a civil engineer or making the newest app for your iPhone as a software engineer. There's a whole range of different ways you can affect real outcomes. So if there was any advice that you could give to young or old women thinking about a career in STEM, what would it be? Just give it a go. I think you just need to get involved with these little tools and technologies you can use to learn different things and don't be scared of failing. With something like programming and software engineering, a lot of the time it's you thinking you've done something perfectly right and then the computer doesn't behave the way you expect it to and you're thinking, wait, but I was right all along. But you, you were right, but you were just a little bit wrong. So you've got to be comfortable with failure and with iterating on your own sort of work and solutions. And that can come up in many, many different ways. It doesn't necessarily need to be programming. You don't need to be good at maths to be good at programming either. So if you can start finding creative ways to get involved with something like technology, whether that be through music or art, there are a whole number of different ways you can get involved and engage without needing to be good at maths. So if you think you're not good at maths or you know you're not good at maths, that doesn't mean you can't do software engineering. Before we move on, you know, I really want to pick your brain. You're here, you're young. What does the future of work look like from your perspective? Where are we going to be in the next 20, 30, 50 years? I think, I think to an extent, everybody's going to need some form of technological literacy. So you're already seeing it now, right? You can't really get away with not being able to use a computer. And I think that's going to escalate to more um, specific sort of things like 
using even just something like Excel to do more than just putting numbers in a numbers in a box, um, you're going to need to have some sort of technological literacy to bring that edge to your job. You are always finding engineers doing things that commerce graduates, finance graduates used to be doing in the past just because of the way that you're taught to think as an engineer. So I think to have critical thinking and understanding, to have good problem-solving skills on a broad level, not necessarily on a mathematical level, but to be able to see a problem, to understand it, to break it down, and to be able to explain yourself, explain your working, all the communicative stuff's going to come in there too. So I think the future of work looks like a lot of people being pretty good at a lot of things they'd never have touched before. That's really interesting. We're going to wrap that up now. Thank you, Hannah. But I've got a couple of questions that I ask all of my guests before I let you leave. Firstly, what do you love most about the eastern suburbs? I guess I've lived here my whole life, so it's just impossible to pick one thing. I I do like being able to walk around the whole place. Like you can just walk from your place to the shops or to the beach. Everywhere's sort of close by and we've got such beautiful things close by. So I always find myself walking instead of driving just because it's such a beautiful area. I think that's my favourite thing. What do you see as the major challenges for our community? I know that a lot of the schools are getting really full, a lot of the public schools, and it's all very well to say go to private school, but public education is super important. And that's the real pipeline to tertiary education, further education, and to having a really, really strong sense of self. So I think bolstering the public education sector would be really, really important for the eastern suburbs. If there's anything you could fix or change in the area, what would it be? I don't want to have a gripe about the bus, but I do get public transport to work. So I wish that things were a little more reliable. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Final three questions. Your favorite cafe or place to eat, favorite beach, and where can you get the best coffee if you drink it? I do drink coffee. Okay, I'll save that for the end. Um, My favorite place to get something to eat has to be Piadina, La Piadina in Bondi. I used to work at Glenair Pharmacy on the corner for a number of years and that would be like our go-to coffee spot. So I would say best coffee and also favourite place to eat um, is that one there. They've just got the most amazing food and you can't find it anywhere else. That's why I absolutely love it. And favourite beach would have to be Bondi. I guess I'm a sucker, but I've, I've lived in that area my whole life, so I can't say no. Hannah, thank you so much for being on this episode of Could You Voice. I think it's incredibly interesting and I'm sure that so many of the young women who are coming out of their HSC thinking about what they're going to be doing uh, next are going to find this incredibly insightful. Thanks for having me. What an inspiring young woman. God, that makes me even want to get involved in coding. Now, if you'd like more information about Girls That Code or any of the other courses, information will be in the show notes. That's it for this episode of Could You Voice. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.